Welcome to the Physics Central Podcast. I'm Callie Cofield. And I'm Michael Zabella. Hey, Cal. Why are we, uh, why are we sounding like this? They're helium voices. Because today we're talking about helium. Oh, right, of course. Why are we talking about helium? Helium is a very important element. <clears throat> okay, I think we better go back to our regular voices. Uh, no helium was actually inhaled in the production of this podcast. Today we're talking about helium because of the very important role it plays for many physicists around the world. So while we normally talk about the laws of physics on this show, today we're going to talk about the laws of economics and how they affect physicists who need helium. In the 1990s, the U.S. Bureau of Land Management unintentionally became the largest supplier of helium in the world. Last year, this nearly led to a worldwide helium crisis, and that would have put a stop to a lot of physics research. The crisis, thankfully, was averted, but the U.S. is now in the process of exiting the helium market. What will the consequences be for the physics community? That's today on the Physics Central Podcast. For today's podcast, I'm going to be talking with my fellow Physics Central host and producer, Mike Lucibella. For the last few years, Mike has been reporting on changes in the worldwide helium market and how those changes have influenced the physics community. Just over a year ago, in mid-2013, the international helium market was poised to fall off a cliff, meaning the price of helium would have skyrocketed, and it's likely that many people would have been unable to get helium at all. This is an issue that deeply affects physics, because helium is an element that is often used in the operation of physics experiments. For example, it's a crucial part of the Large Hadron Collider at CERN, where the Higgs boson was discovered. Many particle accelerators use these supremely powerful magnets, called superconducting magnets, and they guide the particles in the direction they're supposed to go. So at the LHC, they guide the particles around in a circle. And superconductivity only works at very, very cold temperatures. There's this weird effect that happens near absolute zero in a lot of metals where all the electrical resistance disappears. And if you cool something down to that temperature, you can do all kinds of really great stuff with it. You can create really, really powerful magnets. The trick is getting it down that cold. Helium has the lowest freezing point of any element on Earth. It can remain a liquid all the way down to one degree above absolute zero. Absolute zero being the coldest temperature possible, also known as zero degrees Kelvin or negative 459 degrees Fahrenheit. There are no other elements on Earth that come close to remaining a liquid at that temperature. So if helium disappeared or became too expensive for scientists to buy, many particle accelerators simply wouldn't be able to operate. And there are many other examples of physics experiments where there's simply no substitute for helium. Now, to understand how the helium market got to the edge of that economic cliff, we need to go back to the early part of the 20th century, to when the U.S. federal government started to put aside a whole bunch of helium under the ground outside the city of Amarillo, Texas. 
the reason the Federal Helium Reserve was founded was actually um, because of dirigible warfare. You know, back in the 1920s, blimps and, and big airships, lighter than airships, were actually a big part of warfare. Um, so the federal government created this uh, strategic helium reserve because they expected it to be a bigger and bigger part of warfare and in, in, in the future. They created this reserve so they could, you know, fuel their airships. And, you know, obviously that, that didn't quite pan out the way... Um, the way everyone expected to. Helium balloons were also used in World War II, but gradually they became less and less a part of modern warfare. However, shortly after that, the federal government found another reason to stockpile helium. In the 1950s and 1960s, um, helium is actually also used in rocket engines. Um, it's used to, to pressurize the fuel tanks, so the fuel and the oxygen squirts out the, the nozzle of the rocket. And that's really when the federal government really started thinking, we're going to use helium and use it a lot. Like, they thought they were going to use a lot of it for dirigibles, and then in the 1960s, they're like, we're going to use so much of it. So they passed a law to buy up just a vast amount of helium. That's really kind of where the, the helium reserve became this huge retention center that it is. The federal government was buying up helium left and right, and in doing so, it helped drive the price of helium up. The helium reserve was taking on a lot of debt, but they thought it was important. They thought the value of helium for these national causes would pay itself back. And then in the 1970s, those predictions for U.S. helium usage crumbled. They figured that they were just going to use you know, gobs and gobs and gobs of it. And then they didn't. You know, it's still used in rocket engines, but I guess they never really used it as much as they, they, they planned on it. And so they're just kind of stuck with this huge amount of, uh, of helium. And then the price just crashed in, uh, in the early 1970s. You know, you could buy helium for pennies on the dollar of what it used to be. The Federal Helium Reserve had a boatload of, no, a Zeppelin full of debt and a product that was now worth less than what they'd paid for it. In the 1990s, Congress stepped in and said, we're never going to use this much helium, and it saddled us with all this debt. We need to take care of this. So they passed a law and set in motion a plan to liquidate the helium reserve. The law was passed in 1996, and it's important to note that it set a fixed price for the helium it would sell. And just as the U.S. was thinking it would finally be rid of this helium problem, along comes another twist to the story. Computers. In today's market, the number one user of helium in the world is the electronics manufacturing industry. Helium is a noble gas, meaning it doesn't tend to react with other elements. So it won't stick to materials or surfaces, like, for example, a computer processor. Computer chips and other very tiny, very sensitive electronics need to be kept free of any contaminants. Even atoms in the air around them can cause problems. So to prevent things like oxygen atoms from attaching themselves to these devices... The chips and the processors are often made in a room full of helium. In 1996, the computer market started to explode, and suddenly there was this new, massive demand for helium. 
Remember that the government set a fixed price for the helium it was going to sell. Now, by 1980s standards, that price was well above market value. But once computers came on the scene, the price of helium skyrocketed. And suddenly, the situation flipped, and the Federal Helium Reserve became the cheapest place to get helium. Companies, industries, scientists stopped buying helium from the open market when it got too expensive and started buying it from the federal government. So this basically turned the uh, Bureau of Land Management into the world's biggest single supplier of helium. I think it, at its peak, it was supplying you know 40% of the helium in the United States and 35% around the world, which is never what they intended to do. But that was kind of you know the situation that they uh, that they found themselves in. The law that was enacted in 1996 said that once the helium reserve paid off its debt, it would get out of the helium market. But if the biggest supplier of helium in the world suddenly went away, the market would crash. There would be acute shortages. The price of helium would skyrocket faster than it already has. This was the helium cliff. The government hadn't taken action to change the law and keep itself in the helium market. So people didn't know if suddenly this huge source of helium was going to go away. And just the threat of that potential shortage caused the market to tremble. What happened was, you know, these shortages started to set in. You know, scientists would put in an order for, you know, X amount of helium and they'd get like maybe 70% of that. And, you know, or, or an industry would put in, you know, an order for, you know, this amount of helium and they'd only get, you know, some percentage of that. And the price is also just, you know, creeping up, you know, and in some cases with some scientists, you know, it was eating up like 30% of their grant just buying helium. You know, not all physicists needed this kind of helium, but, you know, those that did, it, it was really eating into their, the, the funding that they had. So everyone was looking to the U.S. government wondering, will they let the helium market go off the rails or will they intervene? So they passed a law last year in 2013 that would allow the helium reserve to keep selling its helium until it's basically exhausted, but also to start charging market rates for the helium. The federal government would be able to, you know, charge the price of helium as if it were a competitor to all the other private helium companies. The federal government still wants to get out of the helium market. So in addition to selling its helium, it's also auctioning off large portions of the helium to other helium distributors. The first of those auctions took place in July. Now, that doesn't mean the market is all better now. The price of helium has continued to rise, and it probably will continue to rise. These fluctuations in the helium market are partly due to the fact that not many new suppliers of helium have come along in the last 20 years. There is a very, very small percentage of helium in our atmosphere, but the helium that's used by industry is captured from the earth. It's produced in the radioactive decay of certain elements, and it gets caught in natural gas pockets. So some natural gas companies have invested in capturing that helium. If the helium market had fallen off the cliff, big companies that use helium to manufacture computer chips would most likely have survived, because they have a lot of bargaining power and a lot of money. But small helium users, like individual physicists, or even large particle physics laboratories, those users can feel fluctuations in the helium market much more acutely. 
This year, the American Physical Society launched a new program currently in its trial stage that works sort of like a helium co-op. And the idea is when all the little guys kind of join together and create this co-op, that'll increase their buying power. They'll get better rates. They'll get better deals. They'll be able to you know, negotiate better with the, the suppliers. The American Physical Society is the parent organization of Physics Central. It's a nonprofit physics member organization, so it does things like lobby for physics research on Capitol Hill. And this helium issue is big enough in the physics community that APS decided they needed to do something about it. Now, the co-op can't keep the price of helium from rising, and it doesn't guarantee that there won't be another helium crisis. The Federal Helium Reserve is set to sell off the last of its helium around 2020. The reserve will then hold on to a small amount of helium for things like rockets and federally funded research. Whether or not additional suppliers of helium will help the market balance out is yet to be seen. The bigger question with helium is when will the Earth's helium supply completely run out? Scientists don't know for sure how much helium is under the surface of the Earth. Like any natural resource, it's possible that humans could exhaust the Earth's supply, in which case helium recycling will become extremely important. Many physics laboratories are making an effort to recycle helium, but as with any economic issue, if recycling is significantly more expensive than simply purchasing, then people aren't likely to do it. So the laws of supply and demand, as much as the physical laws of the universe, will continue to determine the relationship between physics and helium. Thanks again to Mike Lucibella for being on the podcast. You've been listening to the Physics Central Podcast. I'm Calla Cofield. As always, you can find more podcasts, our Physics Buzz blog, resources, and so much more at physicscentral.com. Tune in next week for more of the Physics Central Podcast. Thank you.